Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew 4, as we continue in our series, The Beatitudes, The Kingdom is Ours. And as you've already learned by now, uh, we're spending two weeks in each one of the different Beatitudes. First, we're looking at just, just the text itself, letting kind of the weight of that, Jesus' words to lay in on us, and then uh, we're kind of going more towards a practical side of it, how to, um, kind of more of a how-to, that's for sure what this uh, message is. And I've entitled the message, Cultivating Godly Sorrow. How do we cultivate what we talked about last week in um, just godly sorrow? Look at verse number four, Matthew chapter number five, verse number four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We saw last week that there are three, predominantly there are three types of mourning. You have the natural mourning, which is the grieving of the loss of someone or something that you love. We also talked about sinful mourning. And that is the grieving over something that God never intended for you to have. And we saw that uh, even um, just in the Old Testament and uh, just how uh, God would maybe not give you something and yet someone else has it and you begin to covet what they have. And there's this there's this mourning, there's this kind of maybe today's vernacular pouting for something that we don't have that someone else does have. So God's not chosen to give it to you. He's given to somebody else, and so we mourn the fact that we don't have that. So the natural mourning uh, was mourning a loss of a loved one or something that we love. But then as we learned last week, I believe in this text that Jesus is referring to spiritual mourning, which is grieving over your sins against God. And I don't have time this morning to go into the full background of why I believe that even from last week, but the message is on our YouTube channel. We are Redwood, and I'd encourage you, if you didn't hear last week, to definitely catch that this week because today will make far more sense with that understanding. But Christ tells us that this kind of mourning is blessed. Spiritual mourning is so laden with blessing that Jesus is saying that we're to go after it. We are to get as much of it in our lives as we possibly can. And that's why I said that I alluded to, I believe that Jesus wasn't referring to the natural mourning because none of us would want that. None of us would chase after loss in our life just so we could have that type of mourning. And so, but Jesus is teaching that, that we are to, to be chasing after these different blessings that we find in Scripture. So the more you know of this type of mourning, the the spiritual mourning, the grieving, the the sorrow over our sins against God, the more joy you will experience in your life. Spiritual mourning is the key, as we alluded to last week, of overcoming habitual sins. The book of Judges tells us the, the story of God's people over several generations If you read the book of Judges, you will learn that there's this kind of repeated pattern. God's people, they they turn to idols, they turn to sin. God gives them into the hands of their enemies. They cry out to the Lord 
for mercy and in repentance, God sends them a human deliverer to bring peace and to bring rest into their life. And they enjoy that for a short period of time. And then once again, they seek after idols and after sin. And there's this cycle that continues throughout the book of Judges. If I were to give the book of Judges maybe a little bit different topic, it would be how not to live the Christian life. Just this cycle of it. But I think if we're honest here this morning, we can recognize the cycle of Judges even in our own lives when we think of some of our habitual sins. We begin toying with sin. And as you toy with it, you ultimately then will fall into, stumble into that sin. Then we will ask Christ for forgiveness. We'll experience God's mercy in Christ time after time again. And then we will start to sin again. And there's this cycle. I'm positive it's in your life and it's in my life at times as well and times in your life. This But this spiritual morning that we started to address last week that we will dive into heavily this morning speaks into that. It gives gives aid into it. How do we avoid being a person who sits in a church every week but remains unchanged 10, 20, 30 years into our Christianity? Deliverance from the, from the cycle begins with taking sin more seriously. And that is the focus, I believe, of this second beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. So today we're going to focus on the how. How do we make this second beatitude a reality for us? How can I practice spiritual mourning? How can I cultivate this godly sorrow that is, according to the text, laden with blessing? Blessed are these individuals. How can I break the cycle of habitual sin and go after true repentance? So today's a how-to, right? And Yesterday's Father's Day, and I prayed several weeks ago, God, do you want me to kind of go away from the, go away from the text and Lord, just lay, just let, just, just stay in the, just stay in the text. Because the truth is, is we need dads that are like this. We need men that are like this. We need women that are like this. We need Christians that are like this. And so it does speak into our very own existence here. But let me start off with how to see. So this kind of, this how-to sermon, let's start with how do I, how do I see it? There's this old saying, what the eye does not see, the heart does not grieve over. It would be like the, the child who maybe get, cracks their mother's vase and they don't want their mom to see it. And so they take that vase and they kind of turn it over towards maybe the, the backside of the mantle, if that's where it was. And so out of sight, out of mind, no one ever gets in trouble. If I don't ever see it, then I can never grieve over it. Nobody gets upset about something that they cannot see. And so this morning, let me help you. Let's dive in. How can we enter into spiritual mourning over sins that we actually don't see? And so I want to encourage us to get to the point where we're trying to see it. Spiritual mourning begins with seeing your sins. There are three ways in which you can come to a clear knowledge of your own sin, God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. But let's start off this morning 
with God's word. See, when you open up the Bible, you are reading God's words. You are reading God's thoughts. And so as scripture begins to get into your life, you will begin to see things the way that God sees them. You will begin to think about things the way that God sees them. By nature, kind of those that aren't going to be active in this, just that's what I mean by nature. We don't, we don't see real well. We tend to, and I'm saying we with all these, we tend to justify what we do. We do not see in ourselves as others see us or certainly what God sees in us. So reading the Bible is like putting on a pair of, of spectacles. You begin to see what God sees. You begin to grieve what grieves the heart of God. Reading the Bible will open your eyes to the sins that lurk in our lives. And by the way, this is a wonderful gift of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, David, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Beautiful verse. There are five questions that you ought to kind of, maybe you ought to write these down or you can just, maybe, maybe you've heard these before. Five questions that you ought to keep in mind because they're not up on the screen of when you read the word of God. Some of this is not going to be new to you. What does this tell me about God? When you open up the Word of God, you should begin to ask yourself the question, what does this verse, verses, what does this story, sometimes we get so enthralled into the story, you got to look beyond that. What does this tell me about God? Then secondly, what does this tell me about myself? What does it tell me about myself? Thirdly, is there a sin to avoid? What does it tell me about God? Then what does this text tell me about myself? Then is there a sin that I ought to avoid? Maybe as the story is being told, the narrative is being told, is there a sin that I should avoid? Fourthly, is there a promise to believe? And you got to be careful on where those promises lie in Scripture. We don't just go to any old thing that's in the Old Testament and claim that. But is there, and that's why you study. This is a question. And you begin to kind of ponder it. You begin to pray about it. Maybe you get a secondary aid of a book to help you. There's nothing wrong with that. Is there a promise that I am to believe? And then fifthly, and here's often where people want to go to first, is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? What does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about myself? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to believe? And is there a command to obey? So today we're going to be focusing on the question, is there a sin to avoid? So reading the Bible is going to open your eyes to sins that maybe you aren't avoiding and you must avoid or that you should be avoiding. Let's follow 1 Corinthians 13 here uh, up on the screen, Nick. It says charity, that's a, a word that means love, right? Some of your translations that you have, can say love. I actually love the word charity. Love is great too, using the word love like crazy. But charity is, is a beautiful word here. When you give someone charity or an extension of something, maybe you were to give someone uh, food or you were to give someone money, you're not looking for anything in return. And so charity is a great word because there's actually three to four different words in the Greek for the word love, agape, phileo, so on. And this is the word agape, which is, it's a love with 
no strings attached whatsoever. So our English word love, you kind of have to give some, you know, some nuances to it to help you to understand. Hey, I love you with no strings attached, babe. Where sometimes we just say, I love you. It's just, it, a lot of times it is connected to something. But this charity, so let's go through this. Charity suffereth long. It's patient. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant, right? It's not rude. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. So these verses, just a few that I read, they clearly point out seven sins. So what are the things that grieve the Spirit of God? Impatience, right? Love is patient. Envy, love is, does not envy. Pride, love does not get arrogant. Rudeness, love's not rude. Love's not self-seeking. It's not insisting on its own way. I've got to have it my way. Love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. Love does not hang on to past hurts. It's not resentful. These grieve the Holy Spirit. These grieve the Lord. They ruin character and contradict the way of Christ. So God's word, when you open it, opens your eyes to sins that we ought to be sorrowful over, that we ought to be mourning over. Read the word and you will see where these occupy your life. Leave your Bible closed and your eyes will remain closed to the sins that are lurking in your life. Open your Bible and God will open your eyes. So that's what the psalmist said. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes in Psalm 19, verse 8. So he uses his word. How do we see? He uses his word. Secondly, he uses God's spirit. He uses the spirit. I want you to imagine right for a moment you were walking, maybe you have a basement and you were... <clears throat> excuse me, walking through it. And it's dark and it's nasty. There's all kinds of hidden treasures down there. There's some unopened gifts maybe that someone gave you. <clears throat> then there's all kinds of junk, right? Maybe it smells because there's a dead animal somewhere that you haven't found yet. Maybe there's some live animals down there. I, I, I hate spiders. Oh, I hate spiders. I think it was just two days ago my daughter came in. She's like, Dad, there's a spider in the tub. I'm like, you kill it. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, you kill it. But who knows? Who knows what's living down there, right? Just kind, of, just kind of picture it. They're dark. They're nasty. Unless yours is finished all out, and that's nice. But, you know, sometimes they aren't like that. Uh, we don't really a lot of have basements here in California, maybe because of, uh, you know, earthquakes and stuff. But when we lived in Pennsylvania for seven years, everyone has basements back on the East Coast. Right, Mike? But you just kind of, you're down there. Something's died. Something's gross. Can I say this? That's the biblical picture sometimes of our souls. And so God could show you all the junk in your soul by turning on a floodlight. And I'll be honest with you, if you did that, we'd be completely scared. We would never probably recover from it. 
None of, us could, none of us could bear the full weight of the extent of our sin if it all was revealed to each of us at one time. So God is gracious. God is kind. He doesn't show us our sins with this big old floodlight to show everything. No, you know what he does? He uses a little flashlight. And he begins to, he begins to prick your heart in certain areas. Jesus said in John chapter number six, when the Holy Spirit of God comes, he's going to convict the world. He's going to reprove the world of their sins. And so the Holy Spirit, he's a flashlight. He leads us through the, 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 the kind of scary, murky basement. He illuminates hidden things in the dark corners of our lives so God's grace can begin to deal with those sins. The Spirit doesn't use a floodlight. He uses a flashlight. Hear me. That's why sanctification is a lifelong process. There are more sins in our lives than we are able to kind of really just know about or acknowledge right now. Thank God he's patient with us. Amen? Man, I'm thankful that he is. And that's why we need to be patient with others. Following that? Amen to that too. He's patient towards me. I'm going to be patient towards you. And so it's the Holy Spirit. When the Bible opens your eyes to particular sins, ask the Lord to show you, is this lurking anywhere in my life? Love is patient and kind. All right, Lord, all right, that's that's what I ought to be. So that's a sin. So pride or, or impatience is a, is a sin. So, okay, Lord, now would you, you, you've illuminated that, that potential sin in my life. God, can you now show me where it might be? Is it in my relationship with so-and-so? Is it in this situation? And so God is so gracious to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're hurt. We're, we're, we're holding on to hurt. God, can you show me that? where I've been insisting on my own way. God, can you, can you show me that? The Holy Spirit shows what the sins are, and the flashlight shows me where they're lurking in my life. Why don't you use the prayer at the end of Psalm 139 by David? It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. He uses the Spirit Jesus, when, when it was, Jesus said, when he comes, he's going to be the convictor. He's going to be the reprover of sin. He's going to show you where there's sin. So if we're going to be mourning people, of mourning over our sin, sorrowful, if we're going to cultivate this, we've got to start seeing it. How does it have? How do we see it? Through God's word, through his spirit, and then through God's people. Through God's people. See, other Christians who know you well can help you see where you need to grow. That's why relationships with believers is such a gift from the Lord, right? Even James says, confessing your fault one to another. That doesn't mean that we're like, like that person's gonna forgive us necessarily. It's that in our community, in our doing life, when someone else might be struggling with something else, we're immediately gonna enter into that and say, you know what, hey, I struggle with that too. Then now you can help one another. Confessing your fault one to another, James says in James 5. And so God's people, they are a gift to us. God didn't call you to follow Christ with the, with the intent that your life would remain by yourself. 
that you would just kind of, hey, let me just do me. That's totally a Christian term today. You do you, you do me. Let me grow at my pace. I'm fine. And we sit 10, 20, 30 years and there's never any change. God didn't intend for that to happen. God intended for his word to bring change. God intended for the Holy Spirit to bring change in my life. And God intended for people, for the people in our lives to bring about, to help us grow to the edge of a holy life. So how do you see? Well, once we see, then that brings us to how to mourn. So how do we, how do we, begin, to, how do we begin to mourn? So if we're, if we're seeing what God wants us to see, well then, how do we mourn? Well, we start by, you state your sin clearly without excuse or evasion. So you state your sin clearly without excuse or evasion. Well, I just had a really, really, really bad day. And then we excuse what we just said. You following me? You know what I'm talking about, right? Guilty. Oh, I just, I couldn't sleep last night. So I, it's not, it's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Spiritual mourning, it's always over particular sins. See, most of us experience times when we feel maybe a general sense of our own failure, right? That is not what spiritual mourning is. See, the hypocrite may admit that he is a sinner, but he never gets down to naming a single personal sin of his. Mourning over sin is a, it's it's in general. It never moves forward with that. Mourning over sin in general, excuse me, never moves beyond that. It leaves you kind of just feeling miserable. But spiritual mourning, it's a clear focus. It is mourning over particular sins that you have come to see through the ministry of God's word, his spirit, and God's people around you. So state your sin clearly. And then once it's clearly stated, don't give excuses and then begin to evade of why we did it. I acted out of envy. I have insisted on my own way. I have decided that I have something that I just can't cover up anymore. God, this is before you. You have to take it out of the dark place where the Holy Spirit shines a light on it. Let's spend the remainder of our message pretty much in Psalm 51 where David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba that ultimately then he, he, he murdered her husband. Look at verse number four of Psalm 51. It'll be up on the screen. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. See, others were wounded by what David did, but at his heart, sin is an offense against God and there's no such thing as a small sin against God. And so you, you, you bring it to the light. State it. State your sin clearly. Secondly, you weigh what that sin has done to you. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, David is looking at the effect of of sin on his own soul, on his own life. I want you to think about the life of holiness, the life of holiness that God has called you to and how we don't always get there, right? 
God calls us to be holy as I am holy, as our Father in heaven is holy. And so I want you to think of where you might have been by now if you didn't sin and you didn't think that way or you didn't do that way or you didn't let the anger get the best of you. I want you to think about if those sins weren't holding you back where you would be right now. Consider how this sin has limited your usefulness to Christ. Reflect on how it has dampened your worship, how it's dulled your testimony in the world around us, and ultimately it gets us to where we're not really following after God because maybe there's an idol, maybe because there's some sin in our life. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to lay it on thick. Why? I'm going to rescue here in a moment because I want you to mourn over it. I want you to feel it. God intended for you to be this way, and we are living this way. Mourn over it. There's blessing in it. As I told you last week, I'm preaching blessing to you. Might not always feel like it, but trust me, it will be by the end. So think about the other sins in which that sin has led you to. Maybe then leads you to the sin of deception. Leads you to the sin of pretense. We've got to act like everything's okay when we know everything's not okay in our life. Look at what this sin is costing you. Total up the bill. Think of what your life could be if you left this sin behind. That's what David's doing. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's acknowledging that this is what it's costing me. Then recognize what this sin has done to others. See, nobody sins to himself or herself alone. The people that God has placed around us in our life, they're affected by our sin, even if that sin remains unknown, even if we're hiding it well, even if we're keeping that sin from someone else, it's still affecting them. How would you say that, Ryan? Because I am not what I need to be for them if I have this in my life. You following that? Oh, they might not know about it, but it's having an impact on my life. It's having an impact on my soul. And so, so... There's blessing when we mourn that. There's blessing when we bring that out in front of the open. God, I've sinned against you and you alone. And I'm, I'm worried about what this has done to me. And obviously, David's sin hurt many, many others. So many of our sins are obvious. Often they're sins against other people. Our sins make us harder to live with, more difficult to work with, and tougher to love. Happy Father's Day! But consider what your sin did to Christ and what Christ has done for you. See, Jesus Christ did not hang on the cross for sins in general. Jesus Christ hung on the cross for particular sins. They were sins with names and dates and faces on them for which required real punishment. How do we know that? Well, Colossians 2, Paul gives us a little bit of an insight how we had ordinances. Can I put it this way? We had lists. Ryan had lists of all of my my sins. And no, I don't want to show you those. Just a list. 
Ryan did this. Ryan thought this. Ryan said this. Ryan acted this way. Ryan didn't do this. Sins of omission, right? Just, just, didn't, 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 and just with dates and names, my face is just plastered all, all over it. And then in Colossians chapter number two, Paul tells us that Jesus took the ordinances. Jesus took the list of your iniquities, the list of your sins, took it away from you and nailed it to the cross. Separated it from you. Separated it from me. Listen, these are real sins. Or there's no reason for them to have been punished. Jesus took your real sin. Jesus took my real sin and he died in our place. So the sin you are mourning was a sin for which Christ died. He suffered on account of this sin so that is, that, that, that's lurking in your life. There was a punishment for this which had to have been given and it was him he took it it was transferred to jesus christ we've been asking how do you break a pattern of habitual sin how can you hate what you used to love and despise what you used to choose well we're learning that this comes through spiritual mourning and spiritual mourning takes place at the cross graham kendrick's song is come and see Right now, when we think of come and see, we think of the chosen. But he has a song entitled, Come and See. I just want to read a few of these words. Come and see, come and see, come and see the king of love. See the purple robe and crown of thorns he wears. Soldiers mock, rulers sneer as he lifts the cruel cross. Alone and friendless now he climbs toward the hill. Come and weep. Come and mourn for your sins that pierced him there. So much deeper than the wounds of thorn and nail. All our pride, all our greed, all our fallenness and shame. And the Lord has laid the punishment on him. We worship at your feet where wrath and mercy meet. And a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. For us he was made sin. Oh, help me take it in. Deep wounds of love cry out. Father, forgive. I worship, I worship the lamb who was slain. Andrew Bonar, he was a godly pastor from the 19th century. He kept a journal about his spiritual life and he was struggling with his habitual sin. And here's what he said on Matthew, or excuse me, um, May 17th, 1829. It has been much impressed upon me that if convinced of sin at all, I must be so by the view of, its, of it in Christ's love. It has been much impressed upon me that if convinced of sin at all, I must be so by the view of it in Christ's love. See, that was his experience. And out of it, the center of his ministry was to help people turn from their sin to help people with their habitual sin. That was his ministry was about. When you look at the cross, there's more than seeing what you did to Jesus. It's also about seeing what Christ in relationship to you, what he did for you. At the cross, you begin to see how much he loved you. You've been sinning against God. And what does God do? God sends Jesus Christ to do for you what you could not do. He bears your sin. He bears my sin in his body on the tree. Listen to me, a glimpse, simply a glimpse of the love of Christ will do more to strengthen you 
then to, to, ba- to battle against your sin, then all of the, the greatest disciplines that we ought to have, all of the newfound commitments, I'm going to commit not to look at that again. I'm going to commit not to say that again. And by the way, those things are good and fine. But listen, the love of Jesus Christ far surpasses that as the fuel, as the motivation for living out a holy life. So you got to see it. Then how do we mourn? But let me say thirdly, how to find comfort. How do we find comfort in this? How do we, how do we get to the place that Jesus is saying, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So how to find comfort? Well, let's start off by asking for forgiveness. David said in Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. She didn't notice the emphasis on completeness. Sins, my friends, are blotted out by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When your sins are blotted out, they're covered and they're never seen in God's presence again. Now, does that mean that that, that God just kind of forgets about our sins? Like all of a sudden he has amnesia. God is all knowing, right? He knows everything. He knows who you are. (laughs) He knows what you've done. That's what makes his love so remarkable. Because in his love, he says, he knows everything about us. And yet he's going to say, I'm going to forgive their iniquity and I'm going to remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquity will I remember no more. Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. See, sins that are under the blood of Christ are never, hear me, in the mind of God. Now, does God know about your past sins? Yes, every one of them. Are they on his mind when I come to him in Christ? No, no. So when you come to God in Jesus Christ, I want you to know something, my friend. Know that the mind of God is for you. The mind of God is with you in love and without reservation, no matter how many times you come to him. God, I'm sorry. How many times you have to come to him? Sometimes about the same exact sin. And when you come to him, God is not thinking, well, you asked me to forgive you of that yesterday. You asked me to forgive you of that two days ago, three days ago, four days ago. It's not in his mind. He's chosen in his radical love towards you. It's not in my mind. I'm going to bury it in the depths of the sea. I'm going to separate that sin from you as far as the east is from the west in perpetuity. He's going to take those sins and he's going to nail it to the cross, separating them from your account. Listen, that's where the blessing comes. It comes in Jesus. Remember, we are justified by Christ's blood, not by our tears. Now, will this morning maybe bring tears in your eyes? Yes, but forgiveness does not flow from the depth of your sorrow. Your hope this morning is not in you, in your ability to mourn properly. Forgiveness flows from the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the question this morning is never, have I been sorry enough to earn forgiveness? The question is, is the sacrifice of Jesus enough to release forgiveness. 
It's not, have I, have I done enough in order to be forgiven? But has Christ done enough for me to be forgiven? And the answer is an astounding yes. He's done enough. Ask God for forgiveness. And it's yours. Over and over and over again. Is it so that you can have like this standing before God? If you understand theologically, your standing before God the Father is in Jesus' perfect record. So your standing is right. Let me use an example really quick. My son Blake is right here. My son this week could maybe sin against me somehow. Maybe he could lie to me. It's hype. I'm not saying that's what you would do, Blake, okay? He could maybe lie against me, break my heart, make me cry as a dad on Father's Day. Love you, buddy. My love for that young man is never going to change, no matter what he does to me. Every dad in here say amen to that, right? You know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's never going to change. So forgiveness, him, him asking for forgiveness isn't for my benefit. It's for his. Because if he were to come and he were to ask me for forgiveness, hey, daddy, I'm sorry that I lied against you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin to lavish my love on that young man again. I'm going to assure him that he is in a stance of forgiven with me. So you think of God and the heavenly father. We don't come to him because we've got to have this like clean slate. Oh, oh, all these sins where I've, I've got to knock all those off. You want to know why you ought to forgive some of the sins that come to your mind, right? The ones that you're going to mourn is because you are reminded of your standing before him in Christ. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. How do we come to the place of being comforted? You're forgiven. That's why you can mourn over it. And that's why you can say, God, I'm sorry. Would you please help me to, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. God, I'm sorry. But then ask David, Ask for a clean heart. Ask for a clean heart. Not only is God, I'm sorry about this. Ask for a clean heart. Verse number two of Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. See, notice how David keeps coming back to the effect of sins in his own soul, in his own life. He's asking God, cover my sin in your presence but more than that, wash it, its effects from my life. Please. Sin brings guilt into the, pres into the presence of God, but it also brings pollution into the human heart. Sin makes the sinner unclean. It spoils the life. It ruins the character. David's heart led him into sin. Sinful acts come from a heart that needs to be renewed. So he asked, What's going to keep me from doing this again? That's what we should be asking. What's going to, this habitual sin, what's going to keep me from doing that? He didn't want to go on repeating the same sin. And so he said, create in me a clean heart. God, would you, would you give me a heart that hates what I once loved? God, would you give me a heart that would despise what I once chose? You know what we call this? Renewed affections. God can renew your affections. He can change you from the inside out. Then ask God for a renewed spirit, for a renewed spirit. Listen, this is a key. You've listened so well. I've preached a long time. I know. Spiritual mourning is always marked by and infused with hope. 
But when you get serious about mourning your sins, maybe, maybe you were challenged last week, maybe you'll be challenged this week to like super take this seriously. When you begin, hey, I, I'm gonna start mourning over my sin, you know what the enemy has? The enemy has some tactics. He's going he's gonna to start bringing some things into your life. He's going he's gonna to try to dull your conscience. He's going to try to bring you to the place where you think, ah, you know what, that's really not sin. Where God clearly says it's sin, ah, you know what, that's not sin. He's going to try to dull your conscience. And so you're going to lose the awareness of this indwelling sin. But when you get super serious about this, about addressing sin in my life and about sin in your life and the Holy Spirit, he's shining that light, the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, Satan, he's going to switch tactics. Beforehand, he's going to try to get you to just think, oh, that's not sin, so you don't even have to mourn it. Well, once you start mourning it, you know what he's going to start doing? He's going to switch his tactics, and he's going to start saying, you can't get out from underneath this. This is too big. The stuff where he lied at you at the beginning is like, oh, this won't hurt you. Do it anyway. And you do it. Well, now that you've done it, he's going to say, ah, oh, you can't get out of that. It's too big. It's hurt you too much. He's such a liar. You can conquer whatever the habitual sin is. When he tempts you, he tells you that there's no harm, and then he says there's no way out. But ask God to renew you, to renew your cravings, to renew your inner man, to give you new spiritual hungering and thirsting. Psalm 51, verse 10, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Obviously, we live in the New Testament where it's forever. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice changes you. And then let me say finally here, man, ask God for a useful life. We know the verse. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. All things, all things must also include your sins and your failures. You may find God's greatest work in your life begins at the point or after your greatest failure. See, when Satan tempts you, he meant it for your destruction, but God can use it for your everlasting good. See, that is the power of this redeeming love. It's what God does through the cross. So here I'm about to say, don't waste your sins. Don't waste your failures. What good can God bring about in your failures? What, what, can, what can God do in your life after your failure? Well, let me give you a, let me give you a couple things. Verse 13 of Psalm 51, David's, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Talk about it. Talk about what I used to be and what I am now. That's the key, what I used to be and what I am now. God rescues you from that sin in the mighty power of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
talk about that. I'm too private. I don't, I don't want David is saying, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. You know what God can use with your failings? And we all do it, no, right? All of us. God can then, once we've been, well, once we've had this, the, the, this renewed spirit within us, once we begin to, to come outside of that, what we can do is we can come alongside that person and you can confess your faults one to another like James 5 tells us. We don't leave that person out on an island. We say, you know what, hey, I used to struggle with that and here's how God helped me. He worked in my life this way. You begin to be used by God in a way that Satan wanted to crush you. You were redeemed from that. You were rescued out of that lifestyle. Use it now for his honor and for his glory. That's how all things can work together for good. The psalmist also said in Psalm 15, 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Earlier in Psalm 51, David is like, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's literally robbed me of my worship. It's robbed me of my excitement for the Lord. And so now we get right with God. He restores us, and we have the ability to worship again. There's a great joy to be found here. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're never going to mourn this type of mourning. You're never going to be sad over this type of sorrow. See, this mourning is blessed. This type of sadness, it leads to joy. This repentance never leaves you to regret. See, Christians are people who know their own poverty. Beatitude number one. They look to Jesus for what they do not have and know that in him they have all that they need. Spiritual Christians are people who know their own sins. They look to Jesus Christ for mercy and find joy in a holy life. Is that you? Is that me? You know what America needs? America needs Christians, dads, to get real about our sin. And we'll never see it if we're just general. Man, I'm just... I'm just messed up. Yeah, we are. Let's get specific. Holy Spirit of God, would you please show me this in my life and realize that that sin nailed Jesus to the cross, but then everything that he bought for you becomes your record. And so you can now, literally, you can now stand before God. You just, God, I'm, just, I'm sorry about that. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to reiterate his love for you. He's going to reiterate your joint heiredness with Jesus. I'm your father. And by the way, Mike, great song. He's a good, good father. That's what we do. We don't have to be like, God, I'm so sorry I said that. You're seen in Jesus. So be reminded of that by coming to Christ and saying, God, I'm sorry for my... Just, we went through seven sins just in two verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Open up the word, let the Holy Spirit pinpoint things, and then let people in your life. I'm one of those people this morning. 
in your life to love you enough to preach what I believe Jesus, the type of mourning he's referring to here. And then a, how do we get there? We got to see it, then we got to mourn it, and then once that comes, comfort comes your way. Every head bowed, every eye closed.